You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. It is Friday night. This is a little bit different. I feel a little bit different. What is up, Bills Mafia? Friday night, less than two days away from the season opener. I got a cup of coffee to give me that little extra boost. Feeling it tonight. I'm ready to go. We're previewing a NFL football game, and it's so weird that we're sitting here in in almost the middle of September and we've not seen one Bills football game yet. But he is my co-host, Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. This is the Shout a Buffalo Bills football podcast. Smash that like button if you're watching on YouTube. I did that for all the guys in the comments, the guys and ladies in the comments that always tell us to do that. And then also find us on all the audio platforms, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google, all of them. And subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps us out. All right. Ryan Talbot, how are you this evening? How are you feeling? I'm doing well. Well, I'm excited. Like you said, real actual NFL football. You know, we saw some of it last night with Kansas City and Houston, but for the Bills Mafia, getting to see the Bills in just two days, it's exciting. 100%. It is very, very exciting. I'm just checking some things out here because I want to share it out. Because this is the live show. Listen, we've only been doing live shows lately. And uh, if you haven't heard it yet, uh, my man Ryan was on the Pat Moran uh, Talking Buffalo podcast dropped today. Great interview. Go check that out. If you want more Bill's content, I was on uh, ESPN Rochester with Danger Battaglia. Go check that out on my uh, uh, Twitter feed. I retweeted that. Um, but we got a football game to talk about. Buff- Buffalo Bill's. Hosting the New York Jets on Sunday at 1 p.m. in Orchard Park. I went into the stadium today, Ryan. It was it was ominous. It was weird. the uh, The first few rows were uh, tarped off uh, with with some of the advertisements and kind of gave us a little bit of a preview of what what it's going to feel like in there because there's not going to be a whole lot more people in there on Sunday uh, than there was today. And so I think that's going to be like the first real adjustment is getting used to. NFL football without fans because we got kind of like a tease a little bit here in Buffalo. Yesterday we watched the Kansas City Chiefs and the Houston Texans with 
you know, a, a splash worth of fans in their stands, uh, they're not going to get that in Buffalo, at least early on. No, it, no, exactly. I mean, at least through September, those first two games, it's going to be uh, empty. Uh, it's pretty clear, though, that they think there could be some fans that try to get near the stadium. I suppose a warning saying if you come to the game uh, and you're not supposed to be there, they will you will be arrested. So, you know, Bills Mafia, I know you're passionate about your football, but don't show up on Sunday. Don't try to get in and watch that game. Watch it at home from the comfort uh, of your couch. But hopefully by October. Yeah, I like said on the telecast last night. They said, you know, this kind of looks like what it, what a blowout game looks like at the end where there's only like battering of fans left. And that's what it was all game long, though. So it, it was bizarre. But I was smattering of fans over no fans at all any day. So before we get into the nuts and bolts of this game, I want to talk about something that's kind of popping up on social media here tonight. You know, I've seen a couple of people tweeting about it, uh, namely our, our our trust or our fateful uh, commissioner in our fantasy football league, Mr. Nate Geary. Uh, you know, he had an interesting tweet uh, tonight where I think that you know, that's a good jumping off point. I, I want to kind of use it to talk about because this is something that we've been kind of referencing all week here. Like, um, what? Uh, oh, you, you were breaking up there. What are the expectations of this team? So do we come out here, if you're a Bills fan, to watch this game, and if they don't come out offensively and really, you know, rip up Bills Stadium on Sunday – are going to be disappointed. And, you know, Nate's tweet indicated that, you know, a 17-16 win is not going to feel the same way this year against this team. What are your what are your initial thoughts on that? Well, I had to chuckle because I was going to bring that up in our podcast. And we didn't discuss that ahead of time. Friend Nate and, and good old maniac from uh, Trainwreck Sports were kind of going back and forth on that today. I'm actually in Nate Geary's camp on this. I agree with him completely. I know it's week one. I know Williams is going to throw the kitchen sink at Josh Allen. But I, I feel like if I were a Bills Mafia, yeah, I'd be happy to be 1-0. and But I'd be a little bit disappointed if I if you walk with a 17-16 to win against a New York Jets team that is going to be missing some significant players from one year ago. I don't think that they've upgraded anywhere in those positions with uh, the Jamal Adamses of the world being gone. Uh, CJ Mosley opting out. Obviously, we'll talk a little bit of their injury report, but they're missing another key linebacker on Sunday. So I, I would be disappointed. I remember the Bills Mafia, and it was a 17 to 16 win for the Bills. I want to see them come out and look like an AFC contender. I'm not saying they have to be like the Kansas City Chiefs, but that game was a no doubter by the what middle part of the third quarter. I'd like to see that. It doesn't be in the same fashion. But the defense plays extremely well. The Bills come out and put up 20-some through three quarters and let it be kind of a little bit of a snooze fest in the fourth quarter. <laughs> I see a comment here. Has Nate ever been happy in a post game? Obviously, Nate is the uh, voice of the pre- and post-game show for the, uh, for the Bills uh, radio network. You know, I was talking about this a little bit with Danger Battaglia today about, like, you know, with the, all these expectations and the hype that's built week after week after week, and now – you got a couple days in camp where this offense really looked like it was clicking. And, you know, especially with, you know, integrating Stefan Diggs into this, in this roster, in this offense. Now we're kind of sitting here. And while I think in most situations, it would be understandable to expect kind of a slow start out of the gates, but, but here and now we watched last night, 
while the Houston offense at times was a little bit, I didn't watch the whole game, but at times it looked like a little bit, uh, they were missing DeAndre Hopkins. But both offenses, for the most part, obviously more so the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, they they made plays, they made big plays, and they scored points. And and that's the thing. The Bills have to score points against the lowly Jets defense without Jamal Adams, without C.J. Mosley, without Avery Williamson. They need to make plays. And that's the, that's where I'm at. If you go in there and you win a close game, maybe your defense doesn't play as well as you, you were hoping, but your offense makes plays and scores some points. I think that's where you want to see uh, a victory, if you will. Um, yeah. With, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, without a doubt, if you would have told me that Stefan Diggs' first game, he's going to go against cornerbacks like Pierre Desaire, uh, bless Austin, and – um, I'm blanking on the number three there. I, I was talking about it in a post uh, a few days ago or yesterday. But, any, you know, the AFC East has some really good cornerback duos in the Dolphins and the Patriots. This is one of those really good duos. I'm not trying to disrespect them, uh, but this is a great chance for Stefan Diggs to come out and make a big statement and for Josh Allen to make a statement. I want to see the Bills take that next step. I don't want to settle for those close nail biters that the Bills fans have lived with in the last decade, whether they were a playoff team or it seems like the Bills always kind of go down to the wire and make that fan base nervous. This should be one of those games that they get away before the, maybe even before the start of the fourth quarter, in my opinion. So if you have a question or something specific you want us to talk about, let us know in the comments. We would be, we would love to integrate that into this preview show, uh, but we're going to get rolling here because there's a, there's a few topics I want to hit on. I sent you a couple of them uh, uh, via text, Ryan, and I want to start with this matchup that's kind of been uh, simmering all week in terms of Josh Allen versus Greg Williams. You know, the defensive coordinator who, you know, at times last year with CJ Mosley in week one, you know, you saw Josh Allen struggle. I mean, he could have thrown a few interceptions in that game, had a couple mistakes and, you know, you fast forward to this season and with obviously digs in the mix and a, a cohesive offensive line, even with, you know, the potential new parts, if Cody Ford lands at right guard, depending on who's playing at right tackle, if it's not Ty and Tucky, that could be, you know, two new pieces compared to last season. So how quickly do they gel? But here's the big thing I got, I, I got to thinking about here. You look through the depth chart for the, um, for the jets and obviously Quinn Williams is there. I heard this week on a Jets podcast, Rich Samini from ESPN, say that nothing from camp really jumped out about Quinn and Williams. He didn't want to jump the gun or overreact, but there is a sense that you know Jets fans are kind of waiting and hoping with Quinn and Williams still in year two. And so I think that that's a significant uh, development for you know a guy at times last year who looked really good, they wanted him to be that dual threat, a guy that can you know impact the run game, rush the passer. I remember talking about this last year around draft time about you know the differences between Quinn and Williams and Ed Oliver, and I think Ed Oliver is much more uh, is better positioned to make an impact this year than Quinn and Williams. I just don't think that Greg Williams has the horses, whether it be on the line. They're going to run kind of like a three-four scheme. They expect him to run a lot of zone this year, so I'm not so sure how effective he's going to be as a, you know, as a blitz play caller, uh, which is where defensive coordinators that have had success against Josh Allen have had the most success. Yeah, you know, Williams is going to try to throw some exotic blitzes. He's going to try to get maybe some guys from the secondary to blitz, maybe send 
uh, some pressure from other places. The one thing that I think is going to benefit Josh Allen and Sam Darnold on Sunday is the fact that there's going to be noise in the stands. The communication that both quarterbacks can have with their teammates, it's going to be very easy for them to respond or, or to, to tell their wide receivers or tell their offensive line adjustment, here's what I'm seeing. And for the offensive line, vice versa, to communicate with Allen, here's what we're seeing. Um, you know, so I, I think the communication is going it, to, it's kind of uh, like a, a chess game. So in, in a normal football game, though, with when the defense gives those looks, you know, maybe the communication's not there. They can put on the helmet, they can give the hand signals, uh, but it's not always there in terms of, can you hear me? Can you, can you understand what I'm saying? Allen and Darnold will both be able to communicate pretty clearly with their teammates in terms of what they're seeing and make some adjustments on the fly. So uh, I, I'm interested to see how Allen does in that regard, because Williams is not going to sit back. There's nothing that I've seen over his career that makes me think, you know, he's going to sit back this one safe. He's going to throw a lot of pressure when he can at Josh Allen in this Bills offense. 100%. Um, if you're if you're asking a question in the comment section, hang tight. We will get to those uh, at, the, at the final portion of our, of our show here. Um, you know, I asked Zach Moss today about, um, you know, Brian Dable said earlier – this week that when he was asked about like trusting Zach Moss and he said, I trust everybody that made it through this 53 man roster onto this 53 man roster, basically insinuating that even though he's a rookie, there's trust in Zach Moss. And then I, I thought back to what Sean McDermott said earlier uh, about him and that he was already really showing signs of, of, of having success as a, in, in pass protection, which for a rookie running back, I mean, a lot of times that is a struggle to get them you know, to a trustworthy level to put them out there, uh, you know, especially on third downs when you know that, you know, teams are going to blitz, you know, you're going up against a guy like Greg Williams. So that leads me to believe that Zach Moss is, you know, has a real good sh shot to be heavily involved in this game. We, a I asked him about that and he basically said, my college coach told me back, you know, early on in my college career that to, you know, really stand out and excel at the next level. That's where you have to be good. You gotta, you know, take pride in your ability to block. And you know, you've seen it. And I think that that's one of the reasons that you know Zach probably popped to them at the combine. We saw in the embedded video when they got to sit down with him, Brian Dable and Sean McDermott. I think that they knew how serious he took that, and that by bringing him in to replace Frank Gore, you have to have a certain level of baseline trust that a rookie's not going to be, you know, drowning or, you know, sunk in deep water when you, when you ask him to do, uh, to, to hold up in pass protection, which is very important, uh, considering the fact that teams are going to want to bless Josh Allen this year. Yeah. And, and we've seen other young running backs over the years in flow that had a lot of talent in terms of running the ball and, and they weren't getting in, they weren't getting the number of snaps and maybe the fan base wanted. And that's what it comes down to it. And what, that's what it came down to in the past. If you can't protect your quarterback and stay on blitz, uh, blitz protection, you're not going to be out there on the field because that is such an important part for a starting running back in the NFL. Uh, it's not always just getting the ball and running with it. It's not always going out and running routes. It's staying in because if that extra pressure is coming, it's up to you to make sure you're protecting the blind side or, or you're just staying back there to give that quarterback more time. And Moss was pretty good at that at Utah. It looks like it's going to be, I, I can't say a strength because you got to see him do it in the NFL first, but I think that he, he's not going to be like a lot of rookies and a lot of young backs that we've seen over the years come in and struggle in that regard. So if, if he does come in and show that he can do that consistently, 
you could see a more of a 50-50 split between Singletary and Moss sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, in, I'm interested to see some of these matchups. You know, I'm interested to see, you know, if Cody Ford uh, lines up at right guard, what are those matchups going to look like if he ends up having to go against, you know, Quinn and Williams and, you know, running that, you know, every time I feel like they go up against a 3-4 uh, scheme, I'm, I'm interested to see how they get pressure. So uh, that'll be fun to watch for sure. Um, let's, let's shift things to how the Bills are going to make plays because how we started off the show, you know, wondering where you're kind of placing expectations for this offense and, you know, gets you to start to think about how does Stefan Diggs, John Brown, Cole Beasley, the backs, Dawson Knox and Josh Allen match up against this defense. I put out a story today, New York upstate Syracuse.com. Go, go give it a read because I think it's, it's worth your time. Basically we've got a chance to really spend time this week with a host of players from the bills and really ask them about the, 30,000 foot view of training camp now that it's in the rear view mirror and what they have in terms of takeaways. And Micah Hyde basically made, made headlines yesterday when he said, I would never have admitted it, you know, years ago, but it was frustrating as this bill's defense was turning the ball over in 2018. And you remember some of the really good games that they had. And, um, you look on the other side and the offense just couldn't score points. And, you know, you fast forward to this training camp and the plays on some days that this offense has been able to make. I mean, Micah Hyde said sometimes he'll be sitting around on the, on the sideline. They'll come off the field after a drive in 11 on 11. Like, man, they just hit four or five big plays. What just happened? And, you know, for me, my biggest takeaway is Stefan Diggs happened. I mean, that that's the biggest thing. I think that it frees up so many other weapons, you know, on this offense. It allows, it gives Josh Allen, uh, you know, a safety net, uh, a safety blanket, if you will. And, we saw in that one practice when he had nine receptions on nine targets, it was just an absolutely unbelievable mm-hmm. performance. And then you hear what Tredavious White has to say about him and said, we were, we were talking about Tredavious White's deal this past week and what it's going to mean for his perspective, 2020, you know, outlook, how is he approaching it? Where's the motivation coming from? And he's getting the motivation every day in practice. And he said, I'm looking forward to every Monday through Friday because I know I'm going up against a great, this is a direct quote, a grade A transcendent talent in Stefan Diggs. And he said, I am not going to face very many guys that are better than him on Sunday. So I know that I'm becoming better. And there's this healthy competition. There's this back and forth. And I just, I really think that this offense is set up to make plays because of what Stefan Diggs does for everybody else in it. Yeah, I mean, Diggs is the big factor. He is the reason the offense is looking so much better this year because he opens up things for Brown. He opens up things for Beasley. And, and to a much lesser extent, I would be surprised if Gabriel Davis is another reason why this offense has taken off at camp. Most teams, Bills included, you're not 3-4 deep at cornerback. The Jets aren't three, four deep at cornerback. The third one's Brian Poole, by the way. It came to me finally. Uh, so even if, let's just say that they're focused on Diggs, they're focused on Brown, well, Beasley could be running in, in the uh, on the side in the slot. Dawson Knox could be open. The run game could be going. But then you have Gabriel Davis going to cover him. If you come out in a four-wide receiver set, I'm not even sure who their number four cornerback is on the Jets. I haven't looked, I guess. I, I saw the top three. But – there's going to be mismatches galore. Now it's up to Josh Allen to identify those mismatches when, when they're lining up. It's up to him to obviously deliver the passes. Uh, so 
it's yet to be seen what happens in terms of do they take advantage of them. But I think the Bills are going to have a lot of opportunities on Sunday. Yeah, and I think that the losses in that secondary, like that back seven, I think Jamal Adams, you know, even when he wasn't making plays for them, I feel like he was somebody that you had to account for. And now anywhere Josh Allen wants to go on this field, whether it be, you know, short right, short left, middle, uh, deep right, deep left, I don't see anybody on that depth chart that's, you know, uh, striking fear into the hearts of uh, Brian Dable, Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs. So I think from that perspective, there's some there's some interesting matchups. I think that, you know, I think this could be a, a sneaky Cole Beasley game. You know, we come into this week, it's Stephon Diggs and John Brown making all these highlights in camp. And, you know, little Cole Beasley sneaks in there and, you know, it could could come out of this game with, you know, eight, nine, 10 targets, maybe a touchdown on one of those receptions. Uh, this could be a big game uh, for him. Who do you like as kind of somebody that, you know, is a mismatch? Because I think, obviously, I think Cole Beasley is always a mismatch, but I really think against a, a sub subpar secondary like this that, you know, may not have that option in the the or the nickel cornerback uh, to mirror him or at least make things tough on him, this could be a really nice day for Cole Beasley. Yeah, I completely agree. He could be that guy that comes out and ends up leading the receptions, maybe even in yards. Uh, and, you know, maybe Diggs will be the focal point in terms of stopping him, whether it's not only putting your top corner on him, but putting that safety help over to that side. Well, then that's going to open up things significant for John Brown. So Brown could be in line for another big game. It, it's just it's nice to be able to talk about a Buffalo Bills team that almost has too many weapons compared to some of these offenses that we've seen over the years. And, and I'm not trying to bash any former teams, but the Bills played one of those classic games IVB did last uh, Sunday. It was the 2011 upset against the Patriots, and it was Stevie Johnson, outstanding route runner, Donald Jones, and David Nelson is their top three wide receivers. And you kind of sit there and you look at the top three that the Bills have in 2020, and it's like, how was that a starting three back then? And how did they get to this point now? So, you know, night and day difference to some of these offenses that the Bills fans have, have kind of had to watch over the years. And I really think that uh, I think they're going to be in for a fun day, the Bills Mafia, that is, on Sunday watching this game. I think it was Mario Addison that said recently that one of the things that he noticed early on here in training camp is that everywhere you look on the defensive line, you know, one through nine or ten, Everybody can rush the passer. And, and I think that, you know, I've been very outspoken about the, my expectations for this Bills pass rush. But I think one of the questions is, how are they going to be against the run? Because at times last year, I felt that, you know, you think back to that Philadelphia game where there were some, some really big chunks of yardage that teams were able to get in the run game. And that's one of the areas that I wonder about on Sunday is, does this defensive line that's, you know, built with all these great pass rushers, how do they hold up? against, you know, definitely a new look offensive line with a bunch of new starters, a rookie at left tackle, all those things. But a guy in Le'Veon Bell, who, if you want to read the press clipping, says he feels more comfortable in Adam Gase's system in year two. That's one part. The second part was they had a scrimmage and he was held kind of out of it quite a bit and then came out publicly after the fact. So seemingly unhappy about it. So you you always have to wonder where things are at in the tire fire that is Jets land. But, um, you know, I, if Le'Veon Bell is right, that could be an area of concern for the Bills because think back to his Pittsburgh days, and this offense is much different than the, those uh, Pittsburgh offenses back in the day that featured Antonio Brown, Ben Roth Roethlisberger. But still, Le'Veon Bell is a guy that you have to account for. 
Yeah, and you know, to a lesser extent, a much lesser extent, Frank Gore. If you guys remember the Bills fan that is in the commentary, uh, he he was pretty, he was decent. I would guess I would say, or solid those first few weeks in 2019 with the Bills before things kind of caught up with him and he started struggling. So I'm not saying that it's the most talented one-two punch they're going to see, but if Buffalo's defensive line is struggling to stop the run, well, then Adam Gase, if he if he's smart, was going would be pounding that football against them and, and challenging them or daring them to stop. And then that would open up things for Darnold. But you're right. Bell, when healthy, maybe, you know, maybe it comes down to being in the right offense. And I'm not sure this Jets offense is right. But when healthy, he is still dangerous, not only uh, carrying the ball, but also to catching the ball out of the backfield. That's going to be another interesting area. Who covers Bell? Who covers Herndon? Uh, you know, do you know, how are they going to cover uh, Crowder in the slot? Because because last year had a lot of targets, a lot of receptions, but they pretty much kept him in front of them, uh, kept Crowder in front of them, so that way uh, that he couldn't get any huge gains or any big plays. So you know there are some mismatches, uh, and I, well, maybe not mismatches, but there are some matchups to watch on Sunday that maybe the Jets can take advantage of as well. Uh, another one that uh, I want to talk about here a little bit is the guy that I think. Adam Gase and the Jets offensive coaching staff are looking to feature this year. And that's Chris Herndon He played in only one game last year, had the suspension, had the hamstring injury, but he's a guy that, you know, if you go back two years, really connected with Sam Darnold and, you know, that brings into question that matchup and who is going to be responsible for Chris Herndon in this game, because that's one guy that I apparently as bad as things were on some days in Jets practice, he's a guy that Sam Darnold was leaning on. So you look at, you know, uh, in coverage, the linebackers, Matt Milano, somebody that might be have that assignment at times, AJ Klein, who I think is an upgrade over Lorenzo Alexander, our guy in coverage, just because of the athleticism. I mean, Let's be honest, Lorenzo Alexander was 35 years old that last year. What he was able to accomplish was damn impressive. But uh, I think you bring in a guy like AJ Klein, who's one of his strengths is is coverage. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him on Hernan a little bit. But again, it's just one guy. You'd think that this defense, uh, especially with the scheme that they run, won't have a hard time finding him and, and, and at least containing him. Yeah, I think that's fair. And it's going to be interesting because like you said, those two are both options for, it. uh, you know, but if bell lines up, well then do they put uh, Milano on him? Well, who do they put on? Bell? Uh, you, you want to make sure you have someone that's athletic enough to run down the field step for step with a guy like that. So, you know, both of those linebackers that you mentioned Klein and Milano are both very athletic. So, uh, and, and the safety help will be there. Like you said, so this is a solid defense. There, there aren't, a lot or weren't a lot of blown plays these last few years on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so th there might be some hiccups along the way, just like you would expect any team in the first game, especially a year without a preseason. But I just like these matchups across the board, both sides of the ball, the, that that's offensive line versus the bills defensive line. You were talking about how deep that defensive line is. I know we we're talking about stopping the run, but you know, you have a rookie in Becton who I think is very talented, could end up being an all pro type tackle, He'd be going against Jerry Hughes and Mario Edison in his debut. You know that that's a pretty rough assignment for a rookie left tackle. You have some. You have Trent Murphy who really came on at the end of last year on the other side. I'm sure there's some kind of rotation there with Addison and Hughes maybe going over to that side too. Um, really excited though to see what the Bills can do in, in Eric Washington's first game as defensive line coach in terms of being after Sam Darnold. 
100%. I'm, I think that's, to me, that's the key to the game in terms of how this thing goes, because if, if there is one of those, cause I do think this is a mismatch and I, and I don't think it's going to come down necessarily to one specific thing. I just think that this bills team is primed the, the cohesiveness, the familiarity, the new pieces that they are adding. I mean, you even look at, you know, it was potentially five new starters. Well, one of those was going to be Ed Oliver, who's not really a new starter. He played a ton of snaps last year. Levi Wallace is now going to be the starting cornerback at number two because Josh Norman uh, is injured. Uh, he has been ruled out for the game. If you haven't heard that by now, that was announced earlier today. Uh, but I think that, you know, to your point, I, I spoke a little bit about it on Twitter earlier tonight. Um, Jerry Hughes versus Maki Becton. Here's the thing. Becton, Greg Williams said Becton is an absolute terror in a phone booth. And I do not dispute that in the slightest because he is a big gentleman who, you know, looks powerful, young, powerful. I've seen some of his film back from when we were, uh, you know, scouting some of these guys at the, uh, before the draft. But the problem with a guy like Jerry Hughes, who is a speed rusher and kind of, you know, works with that athleticism and that ability, that quickness and space He's probably not going to be able to work out of a phone booth very often in this game. Even Addison, who isn't isn't as quick and fast as Hughes, I still think his veteran savvy is going to overpower Becton at times in this game. And there might be a couple snaps in this game where Becton looks to park. He gets the job done. He executes a block. But how does he sustain it for 60 snaps over the course of the game? Then you move on to the interior. Ed Oliver. All eyes are on Ed Oliver for me in this game. This is a brand new offensive line. There is really, really uh, subpar talent on the interior of this offensive line, in my opinion. Alex Luce, fine left guard. Nothing to say too negatively about him. We heard uh, Jeremiah Searles talk about him a few days ago. He's questionable for this game. He might not play. Mm -hmm. Guess who's his backup? Connor McDermott, our old friend from a few years ago who uh, the Bills cut. Uh, a, a guy that I think, you know, has some talent, but Ed Oliver should really expose him in that matchup. If he ends up having to play left guard in this game, uh, Connor Mc, McGovern at center, he's fine. But I just think that Ed Oliver has a lot of opportunity in this game to create chaos, not only as a pass rusher, but in the run game as well. Yeah, and I'm looking for the same thing from Quentin Jefferson. I think he's going to see a, a pretty decent role, uh, especially with Vernon Butler being questionable obviously Harrison Phillips will get some time in that in the inside of that line too but the like you said Oliver I'm looking forward to Quentin Jefferson Jefferson didn't record a lot of sacks last year uh but he had a lot of quarterback pressures with that Seattle Seahawks team uh, on the inside on the outside so he's another guy that could end wreaking havoc on that Jets offensive line uh, I just really like that matchup if you can make San Arnold uncomfortable again Lorenzo Alexander mentioned that on the show on on Wednesday sometimes it just making that quarterback uncomfortable uh, is just as good as the sack because they're, they're getting rid of the ball too quickly. They're throwing the ball away. They're throwing the ball into the ground too high, too low, can, to, uh, can lead to turnovers. So if that defensive line is as good as I think they can be on Sunday, then they're going to have some opportunities to uh, get that ball, whether it's an interception, whether it's forcing fumbles, whatever the case may be. So as we mentioned, Josh Norman is out, uh, likely going to be uh, Tredavious White and Levi Wallace. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens from there because, you know, obviously Cam Lewis is a guy that both of us 
uh, were pretty high on, thought that he had a chance at the 53-man roster. I actually put him in my final roster projection. He didn't make the team. They were able to get him back on the practice squad. And interestingly, they put Cam Lewis and Dane Jackson on, as four, as two of the four protected players in the practice squad this week. And, you know, maybe they saw the writing on the wall earlier in the week as Josh Norman. It's interesting with Josh. Like, I, I tweeted about this as well. Um, he was back at practice in a li- on a limited capacity. He was running around. He was doing some 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 warm up drills. I believe it was either Monday or Sunday. Uh, so there must have been a setback, whether it be with the same injury that he had. Maybe it was the other leg. Who knows? We saw that Denzel Mims is going to miss this game. Uh, the rookie wide receiver out of Baylor because he is uh, dealing with two hamstring injuries. He had it one, then he suffered uh, an injury in the other one. So, um, so yeah. Uh, Thoughts on that? You know, at least the Bills are well positioned without Norman having uh, Levi Wallace, a guy with a lot of experience. I think we, we talked, uh, maybe it was Wednesday, maybe it was another one of our shows we've done so many. Uh, lately, they have Saran Neal. They, they officially changed his position to cornerback. So if you need to get him some snaps on the outside, I feel comfortable with that. Uh, you, I think that one of the corners that you mentioned on the practice squad, specifically Cam Lewis, if I were to pick, uh, has a chance to be one of those two players that get promoted to that 53-man run with probably Evan Bame. If I were to choose the other, uh, it would have to be an offensive line. I think Bame makes some sense. Uh, so, you know, Norman, it would be nice to have him. It would be nice to see what he has left in the tank, how he would fare here in this game. But at least the Bills have some other options behind him. Mm-hmm. Um. Let's talk about the offensive line a little bit uh, because I know that that's one of the you know big areas or your know, question marks going into this game in terms of what it's going to look like. Now, I can't wait for this game, Ryan, just so we could start actually talking about what the Bills could do instead of having to kind of uh, censor ourselves about what I've been seeing. I have a really good idea of what we're going to about what we're going to see on Sunday in terms of the offensive line, but without being able to give you that information, unfortunately, let's talk about the the possibilities at both spots. You know, you you saw that the Bills listed Cody Ford, Brian Winters, Daryl Williams at right guard on the depth chart, all in one slot, uh, side by side, without uh, you know differentiating uh, where they sit on the depth chart, and then at right tackle, Cody Ford, Daryl Williams, and Ty Insecki. So what that tells us is. You know, just based on what the depth chart that they put out, nothing that we saw in practice. Cody Ford's in play at right guard. I mean, that could be uh, something that they decide to do. So if they do that, then it's about where are you going to do at right tackle? Now, Sean McDermott said recently that he doesn't want to do a rotation again. He wants to land on a five and and allow them to work together a little bit. Um, but I, I continue to believe with the level at which I saw Ty Inseki play the last few weeks, I think that he's in play. And now it could be Cody Ford right guard, Ty Inseki right tackle. We saw that last year at times. That could be what ends up happening. Uh, but can Ty Inseki hold up? And and maybe they say, let's let's give him the chance to try and do that, especially with no preseason. If you want to talk about preseason and the benefits of not having those games, nobody's benefiting more than Ty Inseki. Yeah, he, he's not banged up at all. And, and you know, while, while Matt's sitting here saying that he can't speculate on on things because of what he's seen, I haven't seen anything, so I'm going to speculate away. You know, first <laughs> of all, that, that right guard spot, I'm not buying what they're selling with Brian Winters being listed there along with Cody Ford uh, and, and Darrell Williams. And maybe I'll eat crow on Sunday post game or next week. 
I'm not buying it. I, I, I didn't, I heard enough that he wasn't impressive enough. He probably, and I'm not saying that he can't over time. I just think that he, maybe he still needs to get up to speed uh, on this offense and, and show some improvement. So I think really it, it's a three man race for two spots within Seki Williams and Ford. And you know, we, we've actually had some conversations in the last few weeks where someone said, well, you know, if they think Ford is the right guy at guard, put him there. It doesn't matter uh, that Feliciano could be back. And if you think that's where he's best suited, put him there. And, and then when we were talking to Jeremiah, he said, you know, I'd like to see him at, at right tackle because I think he has the, the feet, the speed, all of that. So, you know, I'm not sure where all where the dust is or where, where it all the dust settles, but it, just by a uh, feeling, I think that we might see Ford at right guard and you might see Inseki at right tackle as the start. And then when you have to spell either one of them, I'm not saying you want to rotate them 50-50, but when one of these come out maybe for one series, you have Daryl Williams who has that roster flexibility who can play guard or tackle and come in for a series uh, a few times during the game just to get a few snaps here and there. I, I think you're right. They want the starting five to be the starting five and, and to have some depth come in here and there, a few snaps, not series, not multiple series, just a one or two uh, per half. Mm. All right, let's get to the nuts and bolts of this thing. What everybody kind of, you know, I shouldn't say the nuts and bolts. I, let's get to the main event. Let's get to the marquee attraction. Our prediction week one. After we give our prediction, or actually, let's let's wait on the prediction. Did, were there any questions that we we should uh, we should address here uh, before we get out of here? Let's look at a few of these. And hey, we're live. We can we can take a few seconds. I can yeah, edit this in post. Like, what, what's the difference? I did see a, a comment on um, um, realistic expectations I for Trent Murphy in this game. Huh. Let's start there. So. I think that he's going to be a rotational piece. I don't see, I don't anticipating him seeing 65% of the snaps like he did a year ago, just because without giving anything away, I do think that there's going to be some other people that potentially get a chance to rotate in there. And, you know, one person that we can mention, and this has nothing to do with what I saw, but I'm still, you know, wondering how much we could potentially see Quentin Jefferson move to the outside and, 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 and rush as a, a defensive end. Now, most of what I saw last year, again, was coming from the right side and, Listen, I'm, like I mentioned, I'm a little bit too, and this is something I would like to actually spend time talking to some of these defensive linemen about, you know, the big nuance difference between rushing from the right side and the left side. I mean, you know, there's a reason guys end up sitting in one spot and, and playing that predominantly. I mean, if not, guys would switch all the time and there's guys that do it in the league um, and do it well, but I want to see what they kind of do from that perspective, but I think it's going to be pretty normal in terms of what Trent Murphy brings. And honestly, I don't want to shock anybody. I would not be surprised if AJ Epinesa is inactive just because of the sheer numbers that they have. And I, I think that they might want to, you know, maybe have all six receivers active. Yeah, I agree completely. And, you know, it's not a knock on Epineza. You said it perfectly. There's a lot of depth. There's a lot of guys to play inside out. Uh, in terms of Murphy and expectations, get him in on the early downs. He sets the edge very well. If if it's a pass play, he, he's shown he can get after the quarterback. He's pretty solid in terms of pressures as well. But, yeah, you know, if you think that Quentin Jefferson is a guy that can – get after the quarterback, put him in on third downs, obviously those passing downs, those obvious passing situations, but mix him in a little bit too on second down on the outside. You can kick him in on the inside. I love his versatility. 
versatility. I think that he could end up being that defensive lineman that on Sunday at 4.30, 4.45, whenever we kick off our show here, uh, maybe he's the defensive lineman that we're talking about the most because he can do so much for this team, and he is so talented. And uh, I just felt like he almost flew under the radar despite being a very solid defender in Seattle. So, you know, I think that's a good question. It was, This wasn't a question of comments. Just someone said uh, Knox is going to go off on Sunday. He very well could. Linebacker unit is, is pretty depleted after they lost Mosley. They lost uh, Avery Williamson here coming into this game. So, you, you know, who's going to match up against him? Are you going to put one of those members of the secondary on him? He, he can. He's stronger than anyone in that cornerback safety room. Uh, he's faster than those linebackers that they're going to have remaining. I don't think you're going to put uh, one of those linebackers on if, if you want to get him downfield necessarily. So, yeah, he could. You, you want to see him uh, show some consistency here in year two in terms of catching the ball, turning up field, and making some plays. We saw flashes of it, absolutely. But I, I want to I see him preach what he says he's been practicing over the, the summer in terms of, the jugs machine, watching the ball come in before he turns up field. He, he had a lot of drops that were on him last year, concentration jobs, not necessarily hands, but um, I, you know, if, if he does show improvement there, absolutely. He could have a great game on Sunday. Um, thank you for watching everybody. Uh, there's probably more questions in here. If we didn't get to him, I apologize, but we're already up against 40 minutes. I can't believe how long this went. I only wanted to go 30. Follow me on Instagram, Ryan as well. Uh, find us on there. Just search Ryan Talbot, Matt Perino. You'll find us on Instagram and also follow Bills on NY Up. I'm going to go live on Sunday from the stadium. So if we didn't get to your question, I'll do a Q&A on Sunday, either on Periscope or on Instagram. Hopefully I can get Ryan on there before the game. We'll, we'll see what we got and we'll, we'll talk more about the stuff. Let's do our prediction before we get out of here. Go ahead, Ryan. All right. Uh, Bills fans are going to be eating burgers on Sunday in the term of 30 burgers. They're going to win the Bills win 30 to 13 over the jets not even close wow 30 to 13 man we are just simpatico man i feel sometimes we we're just thinking with one brain 31 14 the bills uh win big in the home opener uh that was my prediction as i'm putting together my uh preview story for tomorrow make sure you head over to the site uh we have our season predictions uh, we basically went game by game, Ryan and I, uh, a little explanation for each game while we thought uh, the Bills would win or lose. Ryan had the Bills at 10 and 6. I had him at 11 and 5. More detail in that. I mentioned the story I put up today. Check out uh, tomorrow. I'll have my full preview. I'll have a little story on Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, and then it will have full coverage on the site on Sunday from everything that happens in the opener next week. Stay tuned. Little little uh, preview. I got a Delshawn Phillips feature in the uh, in the cooker. So you're going to want to check that one out. It was a really cool story, and I interviewed a really cool guest, uh, a really cool uh, interview from Delshawn's past. For Ryan Talbot, I am Matt Perino. Thank you so much for watching. This was fun. We're going to try to do one of these every Friday night to get you ready for game day on Sunday, and we will be live after the game on Sunday to break it all down. We're finally going to have four quarters of football to break down. Uh, I'm chomping at the bit. My man, Ryan, thank you so much. Have a great night. Yeah, you do.